wonderful to see you guys here this morning. My name's Tony. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as pastor here. Uh, if you are new or visiting or checking us out, we're excited to have you. Uh, if you are a uh, elementary school student and you'd like to hang out with some other elementary school students, I believe Miss Jessica and Miss Jeannie are back there. If you're in middle school or high school, uh, a lot of the middle schoolers and high schoolers are going to hang out. You can follow Aaron. He's going up there and Hanson's in the back. They'll be having an awesome time, so feel free to hang with them. If you're an adult and you're stuck here with me, glad to have you. So I, I rented all that construction equipment because I thought it would be really fun for the kids later on. <laughs> if you want something to pray about, pray about that road. It's like, it's funny actually. So last year at this time, our heater went out. This year at this time, we have no road. So we'll just see. We'll see. God will provide through the midst of it. All right, we're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, we're going to start out by turning to someone next to you. And I want to make sure that if there's a third wheel around you, make sure they're not just sitting by themselves. And I want you to answer this quick question. Maybe just your name. And then what were you doing two years ago at this time? Okay, so make sure there's not a third wheel around you. You got like a minute. Two years ago, what were you doing at this time? All right, switch. If you haven't switched, make sure to switch. All right, I'm going to bring us back. I know that was not enough time. They'll ignore me for a few minutes. All right, I'm going to bring us back. I know. Turn up my mic. All right, I'm going to bring us back. All right, so I know that was not enough time to do justice to your life two years ago. Uh, the main reason that I wanted to sort of do that is, one, we're in a season where it's really nice just to get to know some people. We've had so much change over the last six to nine months. It's nice to actually say hello to someone. Uh, but more than that, I was at an elder meeting on Monday, and I was sitting with Paul W. Davis and our other elders, and Paul said two years ago, he, on Friday mornings, he would meet with his dad, and they've been in this church 55 years. Two years ago at this time, they were having breakfast together, and Paul said, looked at his dad and said, is this the end of this church? Two years ago, at this time, they looked at each other. There was a small group of people here, and he looked at his dad and said, is this the end of this church? A few weeks later, he gets a call from a local pastor who's been praying. This local pastor's like, hey, I felt like God sort of invited me to come and just reach out to you guys. Local pastor, as Pastor and Carmel says, hey, just been praying. I think God's inviting me to reach out to you guys. And I'm like, yeah, we're, we're on our last trips. We're wondering if we're going to have to close the doors. It just so happens there's this guy at the church in Carmel named Mike Murphy, who's been a part of a lot of church plants, right? And he comes here and he offers this analogy to this group of people. If you're here last week, I shared it. Hey, he says, your church is like a field and God is in a bulldozer on the corner. And you have the keys. And the question today he offered to them was, are you going to give God the keys to the bulldozer or are you going to hold on to it? Is it the end? And they say, well, what do we do now? They hand the keys to God. And over the last 15 months, we have seen the resurrection power of God in this place. 
We have seen God bring people to himself in fresh and powerful ways. I can't tell you how many stories of folks that have joined our body that were fundamentally stuck that God has breathed fresh life into. I can't tell you the number of stories of folks that were just drifting and now are like firmly planted in God and his kingdom. And I've talked to folks that before coming to this place weren't even thinking about following Jesus. And now they are. God is at work in this place. We've seen miracle after miracle, right? From a a group of 50 or 60 to 200 plus and trying to figure out what do we do now? We have watched God shift and bring this people, this group together, but we're still kind of this collection of individuals coming on Sunday to experience God. And I think God is inviting us in this season now to become a community of people that are worshiping him and moving forward together to make an impact in the peninsula. That's one of the reasons right now in this season for these next few weeks, we're going to take a break from the gospel of John, which we've been going through week by week for the last, you know, five months. And we're going to ask, what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God in this place in this season. Last week, we talked about the sort of context of seeking first the kingdom. It's Matthew 6, and it's this picture of Jesus saying, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. And he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? We, you couldn't see this last week because there was no room, so I brought it up here. But it was this idea of where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. That our heart actually follows our treasure. He says, when we take risks to invest our treasure and our heart into God's things in the world, what will God do? He'll provide for us along the way. As we talked about last week. This week, I want to look into a contrast between two gospel passages. The first is in Matthew Matthew 13, and the next one is in Matthew 19. I want to look at them each individually. The first is in Matthew 13, and it's a a window. And what does it look like to participate in the kingdom? This is what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. All right, so what's the kingdom like? It's like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, for you, this might feel odd. It's like, who hides a treasure in a field? Like, I don't, like, go to Dennis the Menace Park or George Washington late at night, make a hole, put, put my, uh, you know, gold and cash in there, right? Because we have stocks and we have bank accounts. We have all kinds of ways to invest our money. But in the first century, you know, it was a world of physical wealth, right? So you needed to put it somewhere, and often it was buried. What I find interesting about this parable is it kind of has this feel of, it looks like other people are walking there too. I mean, this guy's just like walking around. Maybe other people are walking too. And there's this treasure beneath their feet all the time. And the question is not whether the treasure is there, but whether they find it, whether they see it, right? No one realizes there's this treasure buried beneath their feet. God's calling. better answer it, yeah. 
right? This man then sells the field, uh, sells all he has and buys the field to get this treasure. But it's interesting, right? He doesn't do it out of obligation. He doesn't do it out of duty. He doesn't do it begrudgingly or bitterly. Jesus says the man with joy, he sells all that he has to buy this field to get this treasure. Right? He sees the worth of what he's found. He responds with joy and thanksgiving. Now, I remember finding a treasure in a field. Now, some of you know, like, I didn't grow up in a, a Christian household. And so, for me, the first person I met that was a follower of Jesus was actually on a football recruiting trip my senior year of high school. So I was going, I know I look like a football player. Always, always get laugh on that one. So I was uh, on a football recruiting trip, and the first guy, the guy who I was going to stay with, his name's Adam Hunter. And he was 6'4", and he was ripped, and I wanted to look just like him. And so when he said, hey, I'm going to go to a Bible study, I was like, okay. If it will make me ripped, I'll do anything, you know? <laughs> so I go to this Bible study. It's the first Bible study I've ever been to. And I read about the parable of the soil in Mark 4. And something about it sort of, st- I don't know, it stuck with me. I actually remembered it. So when I came back to college my freshman year, I started going to these Bible studies. It's just like, oh, I'll keep going. It was kind of interesting. And by the end of my freshman year, I went to this week-long intensive through the Gospel of Mark. It was the second half, and I was in this group of people. And in that moment, we were studying Mark 8, and it says, you know, Jesus says, what would you gain if you gained the entire world but lost your soul, your essence, who you were? And I remember in that moment, I experienced the presence of God. The kindness, the grace, the compassion of Jesus. And it just overwhelmed me. And I literally, in this super awkward moment, I just left the room and just fell apart, weeping in the woods. And it was this moment I hadn't thought about the kingdom. I hadn't thought about treasure and where my treasure was, but I knew in that moment that previously I cared about being smart. I cared about being strong, perceived by strong by guys. I cared about, you know, making money when I graduated. I cared about being attractive to women. You know, that's what I wanted. In that moment, in the presence of Jesus, I realized I didn't care about any of that. All I wanted was to be in the presence of the king. And I remember after I just went and worshiped for the first time in my life. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you were outside the church and came in. Maybe you've been in the church your entire life, but it's that moment when you realize the value of Jesus and his kingdom. Where it sort of shifts your priorities and frames your perspectives so that all of who you are and what you do ends up focusing on him and flowing through his work in your life. Now, like the parable of the treasure, the parable of the pearl says something similar. Now, just historical context-wise, pearls are actually more valuable than gold in antiquity. Right? So you have to imagine, like, what is the most precious thing? It's pearls. They're precious. And now there's this guy, and he's looking for pearls. He's wanting to find one that is of exceptional value. Now I'm finding it, right? Like the guy who finds the treasure in the field, he sells everything to get it. And just like that one, right? This isn't a parable about buying and selling entry to the kingdom. 
It's about that moment when we see the true value and worth of Jesus and his kingdom. Right? He becomes the greatest of treasures. Now, it's like what we talked about last week, right? When we seek first the kingdom, our heart, it follows our treasure. Right? So this man, what does he do? He gives everything he has so he can be a part of the kingdom to be with Jesus, right? He leverages his treasure and his heart follows. Donald Hagner, who's a theologian in the Word Biblical Commentary, writes this. They know that the kingdom is a reality that is worth everything. And thus they joyfully make it their one priority in life. They seek first the kingdom, sacrificing all to it, but at the same time, paradoxically, finding with the kingdom, within the kingdom, all they need. Right? Remember in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Seek first the kingdom, right? And all these other things will be yours too, right? Don't worry. Don't be anxious. God takes care of the lilies and the birds. But if you've followed Jesus for any amount of time, you probably also know the experience of maybe you had that pearl and it was the joy and treasure of your life. But over time, you have a bit of spiritual forgetfulness. And maybe what happens is you have this one treasured pearl, but then you start collecting other pearls. And you form like a little necklace of pearls. Or you found a treasure and you put it on your mantle. It's like, oh, this is my greatest treasure. But then over time, other treasures start collecting next to it. Maybe you relate to that a little bit. Where you're still seeking the kingdom, but it's questionable whether you're seeking first the kingdom. I remember that moment so clearly of saying to Jesus, I will do anything to follow you. I also remember about a decade later being a pastor at a church in which I wasn't really sure how precious Jesus was to me anymore. I was kind of going about the motions. I was sort of, I was praying, I was singing songs, but Jesus really wasn't the thing I was seeking first anymore. He wasn't really that treasure that I was going to give everything to. And I'm not sure the best analogy, whether I was sort of sleepwalking or whether I had sort of just created a collection of treasures of which now the kingdom was one. I don't know exactly the best analogy to match it, but I think some of us know that feeling, that feeling of utter devotion to God and then this drifting that happens. I remember the moment it changed. I was, uh, we had just moved up to Washington and I was sort of in this like, ah, sort of floating with God, maybe drifting with God, but I wasn't seeking first the kingdom. And I remember there was a staff retreat and uh, I was, I honestly didn't want to go. I was just like, I have a lot to do. Like, I do not want to just go hang out at this little retreat. It just means more work for me when I get back. That was kind of my heart's posture. And um, I remember going, uh, my buddy Adam was leading worship and we were just going to do this little circle. And uh, I was like, you know, whatever. Well, I've sung this song a hundred times, you know. Maybe you've been there. And I remember in that moment, something happened. It was like this 
longing for Jesus awoke within me. And everyone else is just kind of like singing normally. And I'm literally like weeping uncontrollably on the floor. One of those like snotty cries where you're sort of embarrassed, you know? It was this moment where in singing this song, a song I don't even remember, I remembered that Jesus was the true treasure of my life. It was like I was a man walking through a field that I had walked through hundreds of times, songs I had sung, and in that moment, I kicked something on the ground and rediscovered the treasure that was most treasured to me. Now, I don't know sort of where you come in this morning. I don't pretend to know kind of what is most valuable to you. But it's clear to me that I'm not alone in this process. I'm not the only one who has gone from a deep and connective love to Jesus to sort of drifting and floating and wondering, you know, whether Jesus is truly a first priority for me or something that I do among other things. And I think it's true because I've met with lots of people that have experienced this. And when we get to Matthew 19, we actually see a person who I think is living in sort of this two-kingdom world, where he's definitely seeking the kingdom, but I'm not sure he's seeking it first. We see in Matthew, right, this development. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Matthew 13, he says, the seeking the kingdom, being in the kingdom is like a man who finds this pearl, a guy who finds this buried treasure. Then we get to Matthew 19, we realize that there is a man, a rich young man. And this is how the story goes. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquires. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, one of the things that's fascinating to me about this story is this man is looking for life. He's looking for eternal life. He's looking to participate in the kingdom. Just like the man who was looking for pearls, he is searching. Jesus tells him, you know, he's like, hey, so how do I do this? How do I participate here? He's like, do the commandments. It's like, I do them, right? Which ones? He's like, oh, he basically cites off the second half of the Ten Commandments. Now, to a Jewish audience, this is sort of the normal protocol of how this conversation would go. How does a first century Jewish person inherit the kingdom? How do they participate? Oh, do the law, do the Torah, do the 10, right? They're following sort of conversational protocol at this point. And then it changes. The young man, maybe with a bit of pride, he's like, I've done that, you know? Now, if he had been there for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he might not have been so quick to say that, right? Because Jesus takes the law, interprets it through the human heart and says, now do this. And people are like, whoa. Right? It's a lot harder to align your heart with the kingdom than it is your behavior. But Jesus doesn't get hung up here. He knows the guy's like missing it a little bit. He goes directly to the heart of the problem. For this man, right, the kingdom isn't the pearl of great price. It isn't the treasure in the field. 
It's not worth everything to him. Right? And Jesus' question actually reveals the man's true treasure. Certainly he's kept the commandments. He's probably been generous with his wealth. Right? As a respected Jewish man, he would have done that. But his heart was more attached to his earthly wealth, his earthly kingdom, than participating in the kingdom of God. Right? The pearl of great price, the treasure in the field, his kingdom, his established kingdom on earth is more important to him than that. Right? Because of this, he then turns away. Roden Scott, he writes this book called The Sower. He says this, The man said, in essence, I want to live in my two kingdoms. I want to have my wealth over here, but also fulfill the requirements of the law. And so, given this two-kingdom mindset, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus Jesus said, it's simple. Just have one kingdom. Give it all away and follow me. And we are told the young ruler went away sad because he could not step off the throne of his own kingdom. Now look at Matthew 30, 13, 44. Jesus is preaching. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a, man, when a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. What a contrast. The young ruler had so much, but could not give it to Christ. So he went away sad. The other man was so excited in finding the kingdom of God that he gladly sold everything he had in the world in order to buy the great treasure hidden in the field. That is one kingdom living. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying, and I don't think Jesus is saying, that all of us have to give away all of our possessions. Like, he's not saying, all right, today is the day. Like, live in tents, give away everything you have. I I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. But I do think he's saying this, that Jesus and the kingdom of God has to be the center of all we do, inform how we live in all the domains of our life. And it's through this window of the kingdom that we view life when we are disciples of Jesus. Right? It's the treasure that orients our heart. Which I think brings me back to our season of life as a church, as Wellspring. Right? Two years ago, Paul was sitting with his dad right after being in this church for 55 years wondering, is this the end? Today we are here. We are in a different place. God is at work. And the question is to us as individuals and a community, where is your heart? Where is your treasure? What does it look like for you to seek first the kingdom of God, not simply sort of seek God in daily life, right? What does it look like to seek first the kingdom? Are you in a place of joy giving who you are to God, or do you find yourself pulling back a little bit? If I was going to offer a couple tips this morning on what does it look like for us to sort of take these parables and these stories and sort of shape them, speak them into our life, apply them in our life today, three things I would say. The first tip is this. Look for the outliers, and this is what I mean. Right? In the story of the pearl and the treasure, what we see is this all-in perspective. They're all in. They're not holding everything back, right? Everything is submitted to the rule and kingdom of God. What we see with the rich young man is he's sort of in, but not everything, right? He's partially submitted to the kingdom. His wealth, all of his possessions are his. What we see is that it's an outlier, 
in his spiritual life, right? It's an area of his life that is not fully submitted to the king and the kingdom. And I guess my question today for us is, what are the outliers in our lives? What are the things that we haven't fully submitted to the king and his kingdom? I think that most of us are prone to a couple different things in our life that sort of we try and keep to the side. It might be our marriage. It might be our time. We talked about time and money last week. It could be the way we do parenting. It could be our devotional life. It could be work and vocation. It could be our friendships. It could be service and how we want to do that. What are the areas of your life that you tend to sort of distance from discipleship and apprenticeship with Jesus? So there's a, just a very practical thing I was thinking maybe we could do this week. Let's come up with a list of five or seven things in your life that feel like these are seven things in your life that really shape your daily life. They shape how you do work. They shape how you just live your life. Come up with five to seven of those things. Each day then, spend 10 minutes in the morning and say, God, I give you this area of my life. I give you my work. Guide me, direct me. I am yours, I'm listening. And allow the Father, allow Jesus to speak and shape that part of your life. Imagine if the rich young ruler had said to God on a regular basis, God, I give you all that I have. I give you all my wealth. Help me know how to use it. I wonder if when he got to that day when Jesus said, follow me, if he had been more willing because the soil of his life had been prepared. His heart had been softened in prayer so that, when, so that it was more shaped into a kingdom image. I wonder if we just said, what are five to seven different areas of your life? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's how you spend your time on the mornings. Maybe it's your devotional life. Whatever it is, come up with five or seven different things and each morning take 10 minutes and say, God, I give you this area of my life. Speak into it. I'm listening. Just so there aren't outliers in our life, right, that distract us from seeking first the kingdom of God. The second tip I would offer would be this. Focus on motivation. The few reasons I want to say this. One is, I, I think the story of the hidden treasure is this really beautiful picture because what happens, right? It's out of joy and thanksgiving that he offers all that he has. Right? He's not saying, oh man, I need to give all these things to God. I need to give all my wealth. I need to give all my time. I need... No, no, no. He's not, that's not his paradigm. It's out of joy. Right? Think of, I think of sort of my story, both at the retreat, right? And when I was at that Bible study, both of those, I was willing to give whatever it took to seek Jesus out of joy. It wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't out of duty. It wasn't out of like, man, now I need to earn something. I think some of us feel that when you're like, oh, now I got to earn something. All right, Tony Sepp here, he's saying I need to like seek first the kingdom. Okay, you know, we're sort of our like Eeyore discipleship. That's not the gospel. The gospel, if we look at the gospel of John, what do we see? God takes on human flesh. He enters into the brokenness of our world, right? He loves us. He draws near to us. And then he encounters us. And we experience the goodness of God. And what's when we experience that goodness, what do we do? Out of joy and thanksgiving, we praise him with our words and with our life. 
That's what it looks like to respond to the presence of the kingdom in our life. What's your heart like today? My experience is when we're trying to earn the kingdom, rather than experiencing sort of joy and thanksgiving, we end up getting burnt out. We end up finding other things to satisfy us because we're not actually encountering the goodness of God in the midst of discipleship. We're doing more behavior modification. Jesus wants us to sort of center our hearts in him. He wants to be our treasure. One frame we often use to talk about this is sort of bounded set versus centered set. So bounded set is basically this, right? Looking at discipleship as sort of in or out. You got your ticket to heaven, you raised your hand when you were 13. You're in, you're good, uh, you're rocking it, right? Or you're the rich young ruler. I'm doing all the commandments. You're in. There's a few problems with it. Uh, One is it leads to stagnation because now you're in. Brush your shoulders off, you're good, mic drop, whatever. You're in. But it also leads to anxiety, because what if you now get out? What if you stop behaving appropriately? Is the grace of God now limited? Right? It also leads to judgment. Now you're judging people. You're rocking it, they're not, right? Certainly there's a biblical precedent here, right? There's a reason we adopted this, right? Because there is a sense of being in the kingdom or outside of it. But I think a more helpful discipleship framework is centered set. So centered set is simply saying Jesus and his kingdom are in the center. And the question is whether you've been following Jesus 55 years or five minutes. Are you moving closer? Is your heart and treasure more and more aligned with Jesus and his kingdom or is it not? Are you moving closer? That's why the arrows are pointing, right? Are you moving closer to Jesus and his kingdom? Is your heart more and more alive and on fire and in love with him? Or are you running the other way? Because right? you can actually have all the behaviors and your heart could be miles away. Or are you stuck right where you are, like firmly planted, like I'm terrified, I don't know what to do. The motivation that we're sort of looking for in this place at Wellspring, in the season is when we seek first the kingdom of God, let's do it with joy and thanksgiving because God is good to us. And then lastly, I would say this, don't rush the moment. Let me explain. What we see in all three instances is all three people are surprised. The guy who finds the treasure is surprised. The guy who finds the pearl is kind of surprised. And then the rich young ruler is super surprised by the question he is asked. Right? Even my stories today, I was, I was not looking for God to show up in that Bible study. I was certainly not expecting it. I certainly wasn't expecting it in that staff retreat. But sometimes God shows up unbidden, unexpected, and surprises us. It can happen when you are changing your child's diaper. It can happen when you are doing the dishes. It can happen when you're driving your car, sitting down at your cubicle for work. It can happen at any moment. And in that moment, we will have a choice. We will have a choice to embrace God breaking into our life, the grace of God happening in that moment, or we can sort of rush on because we have other things to do. Donald Hagner says this, again, more biblical commentary. The kingdom of God is the greatest of treasures, though its worth is immeasurable by any standard. 
It is now present only in veiled form and can be possessed by some without the knowledge of those near them. Like a hidden treasure or a pearl that can be held in one's hand, the kingdom is known only to its joyful possessors. And if we've learned anything from the gospel of John, it's this. God wants to be known. God wants to reveal himself to us in the midst of our daily lives, right? He wants to break into the dailiness, the ordinariness of our lives and our rhythms and our ruts. And he wants to say, I am the bread of life. I am the water that will satisfy your soul. I am the light of the world that will lighten your dark path. God wants to reveal himself to us. The question is, are we going to be there and be willing and say, Come, God, come. Yes, I want more. Or are we going to rush off to the next thing on our calendar and our schedule because we're not sure that we have it sort of time to receive the inbreaking power, resurrection power of God into the dailiness of our life? I'm going to invite the worship team up. One of the things that's been so crazy over the last 18 months is just watching the surprising power of God at work in this place. No one expected the amount of life and transformation and energy that we have experienced. The point is, right now, the treasure is here. The pearl of great price is here. The kingdom of God is here. And Jesus is inviting all of us to worship him to come near to him, to lay our treasure at his feet and say, you are the king of glory, of unestimable worth, the one who loves and treasures us. And as we enter worship, I think God is calling us and he's inviting us to move towards him. He's inviting us not just with our words, but with our hearts to say, you are king, you are Lord, You are good. You are beautiful. And I worship you, God. As we turn to worship, let's let's worship God for how good he is to us, that he truly is the treasure in the field, that he truly is the pearl of great price that is worth everything. Let's pray. God, you are great and you are glorious. God, you are the one that we want to worship. God, we want to align our hearts and our treasure with you. God, help us. God, we are broken, broken creatures. We need you to drop a huge pearl in our lap so that we know, God, that you are king, that you are good, that you are a treasure. God, beyond any treasure that we see. God, may we know you more. God, we want to know you. We're here. We are listening. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Break into our sleepless, our, our just, our wandering, God. Wake us up, God. God, help us to fall in love with you again. God, we want to know you. You are great. You are beautiful. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Help us to love you more, God. Let's stand and worship him.